it was something that we, I really thought I could see the light at the end of the tunnel on a way to not necessarily retire early, but become financially free at a young age. Because I, you know, my dad and my father-in-law both worked very successful careers, but they worked at the same job for 30 plus years. Uh, and I, I think they were happy, but I just for me, that was not something that I wanted to do. So this I saw as a way to kind of control my own destiny and and really do it in a way that I controlled most of the variables. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts. Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Alrighty, welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, where we tell the stories and strategies of everyday millionaires and unveil their current portfolio allocations. This is episode number 98. I was recently reminded of Thomas Stanley's quote from The Millionaire Next Door, before you can become a millionaire, you must learn to think like one. One of our goals is to share the thoughts of millionaires and help each of us connect to someone with whom we resonate. So we're appreciative of those who are willing to share their stories with others. If you're one of those who hasn't been on the show but would like to share your millionaire story, or if you're someone who's close to becoming a millionaire, please email us at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com, and we'd love to feature your story and investing insights. On today's show, we have Chris. He has a current net worth of $1.8 million, 70% of which is in real estate. He and his investment partner have around 50 single-family rentals, all in Texas, and in fact, all within a short distance of each other. We get into the nitty-gritty with him on what he rents his houses for, how much they cost, and how he's been able to grow his net worth. Last week on the show, we had Courtney. She's in her 30s and lives in Canada with her wife and child. She has a net worth of about $1.2 million and is planning to be financially independent and retire early. She's also planning to travel the world within the next year. But before we get into today's interview with Chris and on his portfolio of single-family assets, just wanted to thank our sponsor, Obsidian Capital, for supporting the show. Creating passive income is one of the quickest ways to create and establish wealth. At Obsidian Capital, their core philosophy is to enable qualified investors to create long-term wealth passively through strategic real estate investments. Their team of experienced real estate professionals identifies stabilized and value-add multifamily real estate assets that will provide strong financial returns, a healthy risk profile, tax incentives, and additional benefits that come with investing in real estate. They pride themselves on a high level of integrity and have experienced in acquiring and managing over $300 million in multifamily assets. Furthermore, their leadership has over 45 years of combined industry experience. View their website today to learn more about their streamlined investment process at www.obsidiancapitalco.com. We appreciate all of you tuning into the podcast week after week. So if you enjoy the show, we'd appreciate you leaving a five-star review on either iTunes or Stitcher. It helps us grow the show and to reach new millionaire interviewees. But without any further delay, please help me welcome today's guest and his story, Chris. Welcome to the show, Chris. Do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're up to now? Sure. Yeah. My, my name's Chris. I live in the Houston, Houston area. Uh, I'm an IT consultant, but I work remotely, so it makes it real nice. I can... Uh, I get a lot of time at home. Uh, I have a family. I have four kids. I'm married. Four kids. Four boys, actually. And so they keep me really busy doing a lot of a lot of soccer, a lot of <laughs> a lot of uh, Legos, and a lot of Minecraft in my life. So that's uh, that's kind of the extent <laughs> of, of what I do. But but you know, it's really been a, a journey with real estate and and IT skills in my background. And and what is your net worth today? 
so I'm at right about 1.8 million. And and how's that broken up? Yeah, so it's about somewhat unique. I'm I'm very heavy in real estate. So I'm 70%, 69-70% in real estate and that is all single family homes. And that also includes my own personal residence and those uh it's about 52 houses, 53 if you count mine. And then I have about 14% in cash, so about 240,000 in cash and then about 275,000 in uh, retirement accounts. And those are in, uh, you know, a 401k with my current employer and then Roth IRAs and, uh, and rollover IRAs from, from previous employers. And all of that is in Schwab index funds. Probably 90% of it is in SWTSX, which is the equivalent of VTSAX for, for Vanguard folks. Yeah. So we'll get into the real estate here in a second, but let's just talk about the, the equity accounts. Do you still contribute to your 401k and, and Roth IRAs? Yeah, I do. So I, I contribute. I, I try to max out the 19,000 every year. I'm able to do that. I'm fortunate to be able to do that. And then my wife, we, we pound a, an IRA for her. And then if I'm able to, I will contribute to a Roth, uh, with income limits or sometimes I'll go and do, um, uh, a backdoor Roth as well. And then we've also explored, my partner and I for real estate, we've looked at the SEP IRAs and solar 401ks and eventually I think that's something that we'll tackle to be able to even contribute more tax-free money. And have you always been maxing those accounts out? I have not. I have not. Not not until, I'll be honest, and it, it was something I just wasn't as, well, I used to trade individual stocks and you know I realized at a young age that I always had less information <laughs> Than the big <laughs> institutional investors. Mad, interesting right? how so, that works, right? <laughs> right. And so I got burned a few times uh, on some of those, and I didn't really understand index funds. I had I had them in mutual funds that had probably 1.5 percent expense ratios, and I would just do I would do the match is what I would typically do for my 401k. But now you know that hopefully I'm, I'm making a little bit more money, and I've been able to keep my expenses at what they you know, haven't grown as much, then I've been able to really pound those, the 401k and the IRAs uh, to their maxes in the last probably three to four years. And do you contribute to an HSA at all? I don't. I have, uh, I'm fortunate to have a really good insurance with my current employer. In fact, I, I've done the math so many times because I hear it all the time that I should be doing an HSA, right, through all these, these podcasts. And <laughs> I look at it and not, my family doesn't have a lot of medical expenses, but like we have allergy shots and I got kids that beat each other up and break arms and stuff like that. So, <laughs> um, you know, I think my, my monthly premium is like $200 for like a $15 copay. And so I just can't make the math work to go to a high deductible plan. Yeah. Yeah. To, uh, and then, and then just get the benefit of the HSA, at least, at least with my, with my math skills, I can't get there yet. So yeah, totally. I don't do the HSA. So when did you start kind of getting into real estate? Yeah, so it was it was 2013, and uh, I went to lunch. I was working for a Fortune 500 company doing IT stuff. I went to lunch with a, a new buddy who had just moved into town, and we were there with a couple other guys, and we were just talking about business, business ideas, being an entrepreneur, and he's like, we should get into real estate. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And it was like the scary thing that I always wanted to do, but I didn't want to do by myself because I didn't know how to do it. And he had done a few properties in uh, in Lubbock when he was a student there in law school. And so we had the the expertise. And so we dove in in the Houston market. Uh, we bought a couple, and uh, you know, just off the off the MLS or the you know the normal retail what we call. And we bought them with a few a few guys actually. So we split it up so that we were all just taking a little piece of risk 
And him and I loved it so much, we just decided to go nuts. And so we split off from the rest of the crew who just, you know, were more wanted to be more passive investors. We decided that we really wanted to make it our thing and our, you know, we call it a side hustle. It's now much greater than a side hustle, but it was something that we, I really thought I could see the light at the end of the tunnel on a way to not necessarily retire early, but become financially free at a young age. Because, I, you know, my dad and my father-in-law both worked very successful careers, but they worked at the same job for 30 plus years. Uh, and I, I think they were happy, but I just, for me, that was not something that I wanted to do. So this I saw as a way to kind of control my own destiny and and really do it in a way that I controlled most of the variables. Because when I look at stocks, like I said earlier, I, I I always felt almost like it was Vegas, at least at least trading individual stocks. And so this was a much, I'd say more, more not safe, but just a, a way that I could control more money and really use leverage safely to to maximize my 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 returns and, and my net worth. Yeah. So let's dive through this first deal, because I think if it didn't go well, right, you probably wouldn't have kept going. Right. And, and and obviously right. you have because you have 53 single family houses. I mean, one of them being your own, right. so 52 rentals. So how much did you put into this first deal? Maybe how much did all the guys put in and, and what yeah, happened? Yeah. Did you hold on to it? Did you flip it? What happened there? Yeah, good question. So that first one, I think we paid, and, and I'd like to tell two stories. because so we got the first one that we kind of did as a normal, I don't say normal, but just uh, a novice investor. And then we started over again, just my, my partner and I, and we really got into it. So this first one, we paid $90,000 for this house, which was very fair rate for the time. It was a three bedroom, two bath house, what I call the most liquid house you can buy, bread and butter house. And we had one of our other partners had some access to some very interesting financing. It was interest only financing, which was fantastic. Our bill or our mortgage note on this house was like $92. <laughs> and so, uh, but, but the, the flip side is that you had to put down 30%. So what is that? So that's, uh, you know, we, so we had to come up with $27,000 to buy this house. So we split that roughly five ways. So we each came up with about five, $5,000 to, uh, to buy this house. Right. And then, so we, then we rented it for probably $1,200. We'll say safely. Right. And so we had a $1,200 income. And a hundred dollar bill, right? Plus, plus taxes and insurance, but still it was almost nothing. And so the cash flow on this house was insane. And so we most, we did that another four times. The problem was obviously we had to come up with 30% each time and that got painful, right? Eventually. But so that's how, that's how we did that first set of deals. Then, uh, my partner and I went, then this is really how we got, I would say started with the, with the cash machine, as I call it, is we bought a house off the MLS. It was $40,000 and this house was a, uh, three bedroom, two bath house, very, very close to the other one actually, but it had a significant foundation issue that the seller had found and gotten a quote for something crazy like $40,000 to fix this foundation issue. Sure enough, walking through the house, doors didn't shut right, there were cracks in the wall. Nice house other, other than that, right? And my partner was like, dude, we, we can buy this house and I'm sure we can fix it for a lot less. And I'm, and you know, of course, I'm a little nervous. It's my first real deal that's not a turnkey property basically. And he got me to see the light and we found, we started finding our own crew that could do this stuff. So we fixed the foundation on a house, not $40,000. We fixed it for $5,000. And this was, you know, they were digging two by three foot holes in the middle of the living room, you know, a pile of dirt, <laughs> three feet high. And I'm like, what are we doing to this house, guys? But that was necessary to fix it. Uh, and in fact, on that house, they, uh, they lifted the back of that house about eight inches. In fact, so high that it ripped the uh the power box off the power pole because it stretched the line so far so, so so all in all we were in that house 
after we, so we had to replace all the floors, obviously, and we painted it and fixed it up. We were probably in that house $60,000. And, and that was all cash because no one would loan us money on a house that had uh, no foundation. And so we had split that between ourselves 30 and 30. Uh, and then we got the bright idea to just sell that house to the other person. So my partner had actually bought that house in his name. Uh, and then the first time, and then he sold it to me after it was fixed for about $95,000. Uh, and we got that, uh, you know, an 80% loan on that house. And so we netted a significant amount of money, which then paid off the original and gave us the cash needed to, to buy another one. And so that was kind of the, the beginning of our story. Wow. Uh, we were able to then get a cash uh, infusion, if you will, to then buy another one. And then this went on for, you know, a couple of years where we'd buy one and then we didn't have any cash to buy another one. And so then we had to buy one and then flip it. And that was, that was always sad. It was like giving away one of your children. <laughs> we didn't want to we didn't want to sell one of these uh but eventually we got past that and we found another way we found some lenders who would lend to us on uh not what we paid for the house but what was the appraised value and so what we do now is we can buy a house for 70 80 percent of value with cash and then bring it to our lender a few weeks later and tell them we need a, a loan it's not really a refinance it's just a, it's just a finance and they'll lend us 80% of appraised value, which is much higher than what we bought it. And it's basically a free house for us at that point. And so we want to repeat that process as much as we can. And so anytime we can find a deal, we buy it to try and, and then rent it, right? So that's, Yeah, that's a, that's a that's good game. If, if the appraisals are higher than the asking price, it, you wonder how right. long it'll continue, right? But it can go on for right. a while. Well, right? so, well so that, that's the secret, right? Is that we buy, we, we don't buy off the retail. We, we, uh, we deal with wholesalers. We deal, we send thousands of what we call yellow letters every month to individual homeowners uh, who are either, you know, tired landlords or people who have moved away and uh, they call it, you know, non-owner occupied houses. And we buy those houses from these people who just don't want to deal with a realtor. They don't want to fix the house, but they just want to sell it as is. And so they're willing to sell at a discount because they have some equity in it. They've owned it for at least eight, nine years. Uh, just to be done with it. And so then we're helping them solve a problem and it helps us provide, uh, give us a, a good cash flowing asset. Right. So, so, so many directions we can go here, but on those, on those mailers for every thousand you send out, how many do you hear back from and how many do you actually make offers on? That's a good question, right? So, um, my partner's pretty persuasive. He's pretty good at his job. And so we, we probably get, say for a thousand letters, we probably get 15, 20 calls. Five of those are probably get me off your list calls. Another five are, you know, kicking the tires, wanting to just, you know, you want, hey, if you, if you give me retail for my house, I'll sell it. Uh, and then the last five are people who have significant pain, right? Either they just had a renter move out and they trashed the place or they've had this, you know, they've had a tenant for 20 years and they're sick of it or they just got relocated or, hey, their grandmother just passed away and they inherited this house. They don't know what to do with it because they live in Minnesota. Right. And so these are the kind of calls and that we can talk to them and figure out what their issue is and try to come to uh, a mutual understanding. And so I would say, you know, I think we've spent over something crazy, like $35,000 on, on yellow letters over the wow. last five years. And, but we've, I would say 80% of our deals have come from that. And it's you know, every time we buy a house, we're basically, so, so it's round numbers. Let's say a house is worth 125,000. We can usually buy that house for 90,000, 85,000. Uh, and so that's 40,000 in equity that we're just making up on day one. Just because they're, house pays, what's that? Just because they're looking to get out of it so quickly. Right. And they, and they paid 40,000 for it back in 2002. Right. right. So there's, and they've been paying equity and they just want to be done with it. They don't want to build a realtor. They don't want to list it. They don't want to fix it up. Uh, they know it's got some issues. So usually on those houses, we'll put five to 7,000 into them, you know, redo the floors, paint it, change some light fixtures. 
you know, very functional, good houses, but just kind of spruce them up a little bit. And then they'll rent all day for, for $1,300. Hmm. And then are all 52 of these houses nearby or you guys kind of started going to different states or locations? Yeah, we are, we're, we are very protective of our time. And so we have, we have them all, I would say 90% of them are in two zip codes in Houston. So, you know, you could, you could argue that's uh, not very diversified, but for us, we, we want to just own the neighborhood, right? We, we, we have a joke that you can tell me a street and I, and an address and I can tell you what that house is worth, you know, based if it was in normal condition without even looking at it. In fact, we've bought houses without looking at them before. That's how, that's how well we know these areas. And so we have a couple that are on the fringe of, of Houston, other areas where they've just were too good to pass up. But we always joke, my partner and I we never want to drive to them because it's like an hour away. And I know that doesn't sound very far, but <laughs> it's a long way in, in Houston traffic. And are most of them three bed, two baths? Yeah, we, I would say 80% of them are three twos. There's a couple four twos. And then we have a couple duplexes that we tried out um, that are, uh, one of them is a two, a two one. And another one's a, I think a hmm. three two, but it's small and has no garage. But, you know, the vast majority of them are three two with a two car garage, 14 to 1900 square feet. Yeah, it's interesting. All the guys that we've invested that are big single family home investors, they swear by three two. They just say it rents the fastest, yeah, it stays rented, it's the best way to go. Yeah, we can rent those houses in less than two weeks usually at the top of the market rent. And that's kind of the system, right? And we manage all these houses ourselves as well, which is some people think we're crazy for doing. But that's like seventy thousand dollars a year in management fees. And literally it takes us a couple hours a week. That's pretty amazing. A couple but, hours to manage 52 single family rentals. How often do you have, yeah. how often do you have turnover or issues? Yeah. So I think this month we have one of the 52 leaving. In fact, she's leaving tomorrow. And so I'll go over there on, what do I say? On Thursday, check it out, take some pictures, documenting damage. And then we already have pictures from the last time, as long as nothing significant has changed and we'll list it on, on the MLS. And we'll take, that's the only hard part is, is, uh, filling it from a time perspective because people want to like see it and show it. So sometimes I'll just, it's my house. Sometimes I just give them the code to the door and let them go show it themselves, even though that might be a risk, but it's not worth my time. So, yeah. <laughs> so and then we'll, we, we do most everything, three things, a smartphone, Excel, and a Chase bank account. It's amazing what you can do with those three things. And so, you know, anytime someone calls me, they, we've trained most of the tenants. They just text me or that, you know, or my partner, we, we manage half and he manages half. And then we deploy the appropriate fixer. You know, we got a roofer, an AC guy, an electrician, a handyman, a floor, or a garage door guy, a plumber, all on speed dial. And then they go schedule the appointment. Uh, they tell me what's wrong. They can go to Home Depot and buy stuff. I just get a text from Home Depot. I approve it. And then they send me a, a bill, right? And so it's, there's some, there's some systems there that are taking some time to develop and some trust in some guys that we've had to, to yeah. develop, but it works pretty well. And how are these structured? Is every investment its own LLC or do you have it in one LLC? Where does everybody pay? Yeah. Rent? So it's one LLC, one LLC. We have in Texas, you can do the series LLCs, but for us, we just have uh, some significant liability policies, general GL policies that we carry. And for us, just from a tax perspective and Management perspective, it's been much easier to chalk them all into one LLC. Tenants quick pay, if you're familiar with Zelle, they use that or they will go to a, a Chase branch and deposit, but most of the time we can get stuff electronically and it's instant and uh, hits our, hits our accounts and then we rectify it all in good old Excel. So financing, are these all pretty highly leveraged? So we're at about 64% LTV right now. Okay. So 
And this is kind of the magic. So they're all 20, I would say 98% of them are on. So that very first one I talked about, uh, where, where he sold, where my partner sold it to me, that's on a 30 year, uh, investment loan in my name still actually, because the fine, it's a fixed rate. It's great, right? And we're just going to keep that one. The other 51 <laughs> are in portfolio loans. And those are, you know, once you get past three or four loans, you can't do the, uh, the normal investments anymore. And so we have a very, awesome small regional bank here that will lend us and they're 20 year loans most on you know between four and a half five and a half percent and those are five year rates and those rates reset every fifth year some are on seven but they, so they reset so we have some coming up for reset you know and that's the risk maybe rates will be higher but actually they're going down now so it's kind of ridiculous but um so we'll just freeze that rate again for five more years as it goes down from 15 years to 10. But the real magic here, you heard of the term refi till you die. So each year <laughs> we, we pay down about $150,000 in, in principal. Uh, and that's, you know, money we can't necessarily tap. And so easily. And so then the idea is that you have these houses that you bought, you know, staggeredly, or, you know, and you start to refi them and pull the money back out. And the great thing is that money is tax free and it just resets the note to where it was before. You can take out more, but it's depending if rents have gone up and whatnot or values have gone up. But that way you can just take the money back out and then pay it down again. So right now that's, you know, that's $75,000 each. My partner and I could take out tax free every year and essentially live on. And that's not even counting uh, the cash flow from the properties. That's what starts to make it look pretty attractive to, mm. to leave the, the workforce to be able to roll with that if you had to. Yeah, so you guys are playing the refi game. So numbers-wise, how much are you guys grossing and netting a month from 52 houses? So what does that bring in? Yeah, so we're at, I have that right here. Where go? So I think we're at $67,000 a month in revenue. And so that's revenue. And then uh, net on that, I think our, we're, we're on a good month. We're like 10000 so 11000 Are you guys 50-50 on all these? or? Yes, yep, we're 50-50, straight in the LLC. And at the end of the year, you know, we have to pay, pay some taxes and then, uh, but there's no management fees and we pay our guys as we go. You know, so July was rough. We had to replace a couple ACs because it's hot in Texas, but that's normal. They get a 10 year warranty and hopefully we're good for a long time. <laughs> right. So any big nightmares? Did you guys get hit by Hurricane Harvey at all? Oh man. So for three days straight, I did not sleep because we don't, we don't own flood insurance out of principle because I think it's, well, cause we don't buy houses in flood insurance. And so. You know, so those three days, I'm like saying a lot of prayers saying, okay, I hope these flood maps are accurate. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's the only systematic risk I can see. You know, people talk about systematic risk all the time in the, in the market. That's my systematic risk in, in where I've invested is that I could lose the whole shooting match in one bad storm. But, you know, 30 inches in, in a weekend of rain, uh, and we had two houses that the next door neighbors flooded, but our, and so all 52 of ours were, were good. We had a couple roof leaks, minor roof leaks, but no flooding. And so very fortunate for that. But that, but that just hopefully solidified our position that, you know, we are very careful where we buy these and we don't buy flood insurance because it's not necessary. And so if, if Harvey didn't flood them, hopefully nothing will is what we say now. <laughs> but no, we've had a couple, we've had a couple of stories where, uh, you know, some crazy tenants. Uh, we had one house we bought to flip because it was totally trashed and we went to sell it with the same company. And I won't go too much into depth. It's pretty, it's pretty complex. We went to sell the same title company and they found an error in, uh, how the title was given to us from the prior seller. 
And it was really, it was a woman who died and the daughter signed for it, but it really should have been her and all her siblings the way it was written. Well, some of these siblings were dead. Some were running from the law. Some were incapacitated. And so it was a nightmare. We couldn't sell this house for a year. And that we had like $50,000 tied in, our, in that house, which was a lot of money at the beginning of this thing. Uh, and it really freaked me out for a while. But in the end, we sold it for more than what we paid for it because it had gone up in value, even though it just sat there totally trashed. But yeah, we've had a couple of stories like that, that that'll make you think twice. But overall, it's been a very positive experience. I'm sure, for sure. So, Chris, where do you kind of go from here? Are you going to kind of go all in on real estate? Are you going to scale up and go into multifamily, or kind of what's the what's the progression? Yeah, so, we talk about this all the time. You know, what, whether we, you know, because we, we feel like we have this entrepreneurial spirit now. You know, should we start a franchise? Should we? Should we, uh, you know, get into multifamily? Should we get into storage business? Should we open a not a restaurant, but just some, you know, a pest control company, something that could help even fast track this even more. But in the end, like I said at the beginning, our, our, our day jobs are so good to us and give us the flexibility to do this on the side. I think if I quit my job, it would be very difficult to get uh, the kind of financing we have now, right? Because the banks love W-2 income. And so, you know, whether, because my partner always says to me, Chris, it's not going fast enough, even though, <laughs> even though it's going pretty fast, he wants it to go faster. And so he sees things like, uh, you know, starting a business where you could really jumpstart it, but businesses require all of your attention. You can't just use it a few hours a week. And so that would require us to quit our, our day jobs. And I don't think we're ready for that yet because uh, we have families, we have kids. We like that, what that stability that those jobs bring. And so really, I think we're just going to keep buying the single family home. And if the market shifts and uh, multifamily becomes more attractive in our area, We'll dive into that for for sure because uh, the skills are very complementary, right? And and going it'll just help us scale even faster. But uh, like I said, I think investing more more single family we've definitely slowed down in the last few years just because there's not as many deals because things have gone up in price and we're just not willing to to pay that uh, currently. But the 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 refi till you die thing looks attractive to us, and I think as we pay down more of these houses, uh, we'll be able to just you know have that that flexibility to maybe maybe work a little less or you know eventually leave the workforce when it makes sense. Have you had any disputes with your partner in this journey? No, that's a good question, right? So I always hear uh, Dave Ramsey always said, you know, the only the only partnership is a thinking ship or whatever. But no, I he we have we have very similar personalities and we see eye to eye and we have an incredible amount of trust and it's almost I don't want to say magical, but it's it's very I'm just very grateful for it because otherwise, I, you know, you hear stories about that all the time where partners run off with money or they have disputes or they break up and they never talk to each other again. Uh, we go on family vacations together. We, uh, we hang out all the time and it's, you know, unfortunately, like we went to a concert last weekend together and it was like 90% we talked about business, right? <laughs> it's just, it's just in, it's in our DNA. And so, no, it, you know, not yet. We haven't had any significant bets for sure. And so, and that's, that would be my recommendation to people is that, you know, people who are worried, find someone, it's always more fun with a partner. And so, and he always, you know, he always says the same thing. He's like, even though I'm splitting half this with you, it's more fun because it's someone to talk to you about it and we can like bounce ideas off each other and, and get better. Right. And so he's definitely made me better. We're also real estate agents on the side and we just we kind of do that for fun for our friends. But that's been a fun kind of side, side gig to just, you know, learn that business as well from the retail side. 
you know, def- definitely uh, been a very, very, that's probably the best thing in this whole thing is that relationship has helped make this whole thing grow. Totally. And your wives kind of see where you're coming from. And it, I mean, what's, what's kind of their take on, on business yeah. talk always when y'all are together and stuff. Right. So at first, uh, you know, there was some, some uh, trepidation. They were a little fearful just because it's scary. And, you know, when you buy houses and you're not living in them, for a normal person, that might seem a little weird because <laughs> other people are living in them. And, uh, you know, just worried that one, you know, it's going to burn down or, you know, the tenant's going to trash it. And what are you going to do? And quickly we learned that basically $5,000 will fix anything. And so, and that, that's the kind of the joke we, we, uh, we talk about, right? So, and so over time, they have learned to trust us. And, you know, my wife really doesn't even, care anymore about i mean she cares but she doesn't she doesn't worry i should say uh and my partner's wife's the same way it's just part of our dna and we haven't we haven't been significantly or seriously burned yet from from this and so they they look at it as just our i joke about it it's my hobby right my hobby my hobbies make money i don't play golf i don't play video games i i like to uh start businesses and and buy real estate and so that's my hobby and so Whenever I'm not with my wife, I'm usually doing that. And that she just thinks that it's my hobby. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah. what, what's what's held you back or maybe why not sell a good chunk of these properties, take the equity and go invest maybe somewhere else where prices aren't as high, maybe buy a bigger, you know, multifamily property or something like that? Right. Right. That's a good question. You know, it's, and we talk about it all the time because and we sold a couple. So we've done probably 75 or so deals over the last. And so we've sold, you know, 20, roughly 25 of those. And those were areas where the taxes were too high or we didn't like the house. It just, you know, wasn't a good house from a, from a rent perspective or it was in a, you know, a really terrible HOA that was always sending us letters, giving us heartburn. But, uh, realistically, I'll tell you, man, we, we struck every day. I ask that question, you know, should we sell all these and just invest in an index fund and live off 4%? Cause so then we'd have, you know, $7 million or no, excuse me, four million, four million dollars. Uh, no, seven, seven total, right? Between the two of us. Sorry. So it'd be, it'd be four for me. So right now we own, we owe, what was I going to say? But yeah, so if we, if we invested all that, what would we, uh, would we make seven, eight percent and just live off, you know, four percent and the four percent rule? I don't know. It, it feels for us that real estate with the tax benefits and tax shelters and the, the, um, the refinance that we can do, there's just too many, there's too many positives to getting out. Now, if we find the right property, the right, you know, multifamily, we could definitely trade up, you know, play Monopoly, go from houses to hotels. That's something we would totally do, I think, if the numbers made sense. But for us, we, we feel really comfortable with real estate. And I think that's our, that's our ticket out of, of the rat race, really say. And so I, you know, I, I think I would just be bored if I put it in the market. And, you know, we're, we're also, we've also seen the last 10 years, the biggest bull market we've ever seen, uh, at least in my lifetime. And so, you know, we might be at the top there too. And so we just feel much more comfortable and we control more of the variables, you know, who lives in our houses, how much we charge for rent, how much we improve these properties. Uh, we just feel like we have a lot more control uh, than, than in the, the, the market. Totally. Do your friends and family know how successful you are? And do they know about this real estate empire you're building? Yeah. So we, <laughs> my family does for sure. Family, my family and my wife's family do. The, the friends were very selective, so we tell. They know we're in real estate. I don't think a lot of them know how many we have. They know we're realtors because we help, we help our friends buy and sell houses. They know we, we have some properties, but I, I don't think they know how many we have per se. You know, if they ask, I'll tell them. So some will ask, you know, how many do you have? I don't just walk around and ask 50,000. 
But um, if they ask, <laughs> well, you know, and they and they seem interested in it, then we'll we'll teach them. And it's been really interesting because most people, for whatever reason, I don't say can't cast the vision, but they're too busy or they're just not incentivized to to make the jump or to to put in the effort. Because we want to help. Because we talk about this stuff all the time, right? So we're really passionate about it. And so uh, when I go to parties, I have to, my wife always tells me, you can't talk about real estate, you know? <laughs> and so, talk and about so, IT uh, you know, consulting, so man. Say, Come on. <laughs> I go sit in the corner uh, and have to think of something else to talk about. But no, uh, but so we've had a couple people where we've helped them, uh, you know, send out some letters, you know, in certain areas and do some research. They had one or two find a deal and they usually just flip the house take the cash. Uh, but yeah, I haven't really got anyone on the, on the, on the rental real estate train yet per se. Maybe I'm not, I'm not doing a good enough job, but, but yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe someday. So trying to, trying to get my kids into it. My kids love it. They love, uh, we'll take them, help them, help them, you know, give them a, a small job to, you know, clean out a, a house or something, if, you know, just to teach them how to work. But so hopefully, hopefully I can pass it along to the next generation, at least from a finance perspective. So who does all the job in, in the sense of like posting if you need a new tenant or mowing the lawns or that kind of stuff? Good question. Yeah. So we don't do any of our own work. So everything we outsource to our, uh, our contractors and they're fantastic, at least from a, from a, you know, plumbing. But what we do do is we will go to the house, like we'll say when a tenant moves out and assess what needs to be repaired. We make a punch list, we call it, right? You know, we need to change these. Light fixtures, this carpet needs to be replaced. We need to clean the, you know, the appliances, whatever, mow the yard. And then we deploy the right people. And so, you know, I'll be honest, this, this summer I was gone for like six weeks on vacation. And so my partner did most of that work while I was gone. And so I'm going to try to pick up the slack now for the next few weeks, uh, so he can take a break. But typically we, we have, uh, half and half. So I manage half. So the tenants call me. Uh, and the other half call him. And the best thing, this is the best advice I ever got that my partner taught me, is that if you ever do own real estate and you manage it, never tell the tenants that you're the owner. And so none of them know that we're the owners. They just think we're the managers. And so we can be a real advocate with them, you know, to run interference. So when, you know, someone calls and say, hey, Chris, can we can we get some new granite countertops? I'm like, I don't know if the owner's going to go for that, right? And so but I'll talk to them. <laughs> and so that dynamic has really helped so that, you know, you don't ever get in a serious fight or discussion or disagreement with a tenant. You can always kind of relate back, say, I need to talk to the owner about that or whatever. But so we kind of just back and forth. We do about half and half. My uh, my partner runs the books mainly. Uh, I do a lot of the deploying of, of contractors, also do um, a lot with the property taxes at the end of the year. And so we have our, our different roles. And what's the average time that a tenant stays in? Yeah, good point. So I would say about two years, maybe a little over that, two, two, two and a third years. None of them are short-term rentals, right? Like no Airbnbs? No, no, we have not seen the light for that yet. I mean, we, I, I know people that do it and are very successful, but it wouldn't really work in our market. And we don't have the systems yet for that. We're just, we like to set it and forget it. And so, yeah, they're all, they're all, we signed one-year leases and then we'll, we will, the next year we'll raise the rent if the market will allow it. And then we'll try to get them to sign for two more and, and, and incentivize them to, hey, if you sign this, then the rent won't go up in year three because we will sign a two-year lease. Because we value longevity over uh, yeah. having to find tenants because that's where our time is, is tied up. If I had 30 tenants move out in June, that would be a bad week for me, right? Right, right. <laughs> so, totally, totally. We try to space them out. But we don't want people moving out uh, in the wintertime because that's just a, it's just not as 
it's not as a liquid market. So we do yeah. want people to move out over the summer because that's when people are changing schools and moving. But we don't want them all to move out then because that would be that'd be a lot of work. What's your average rental price? Three bed, two bath in Houston. Uh, so we're at twelve eighty. Okay. Twelve eighty. There you go. All right. Just uh, in wrapping up here, just want to ask you some rapid fire questions. So. Oh, great. Here we go. Most expensive jeans or pair of pants you've ever purchased? Okay. I bought this darn Facebook ad. They got me. There's a company <laughs> called Public. And it's, uh, they sell like a, it's not a jean, but it's a pant. And you can, um, but it's like a, anyway, they're like $90, but I love them. And so it's probably the only pair I ever buy, but it was worth it. So 90 okay. Bucks. Uh, most expensive shoes. Okay. You guys are catching. These are my, these are my, uh, my vices. These I love vices. Alan Edmonds. Alan Edmonds, <laughs> which are dress shoes. So I had, you I got had two, two fans right pairs. here too. So it's all good. Okay. <laughs> I have three pairs, but I only buy them when they go on sale. So. I think the most I ever paid for one was 180 for the park ads. I've so. always, you know about ShoeBank? Yeah, the ShoeBank. I yeah. Anyway, is that uh, online now, or is it still? Is it still like a list you got to? No, for? yeah, it's uh, it's online because it's just ShoeBank.com. So shameless plug, oh. but that's that's kind of where I get mine. And and it used know, to be, like, you, you know, the trick in the day used to be like you could order multiple, so you could buy like right, all right, three Fifth Avenues in black, right, and then you kind of like pick and choose right. and then return the ones you don't want. But anyway. Right. Clark, Clark's now you might he's gone to the manufacturer plant up in Wisconsin, right? <laughs> yeah. That's a yeah. dream. Yeah, it's neat. Well, my wife makes fun of me because I work from home in basketball shorts. <laughs> I'm Alan Edmonds. But, but then you, know, you buy three dress shoes, yeah. <laughs> but I wear, them, I wear them to church, and then I wear them when I go visit clients. So they should last me 30 years at that rate. So right. it should be okay. Right. Okay, most expensive car? Uh, we bought a minivan, brand new. Uh, in 2016, that was 32,000. Probably won't ever do that again. But I mean, I, it was great. But I just <laughs> won't need to do that again. So, okay. Uh, Most expensive meal out that you've personally paid for? My wife and I went to a steakhouse once for Valentine's Day, and I think it was I think it was 200 for the both of us. So 100 dollars a person. Okay. What item or items or experiences are worth spending more money on? Do you? So I love college football games. So I'll pay a little more to go to those. And then my wife is a big hiker. Like she loves mountains, uh, which is ironic because we live in Texas. But so any, so that means we will travel. We will pay to travel to go places where there's a unique hiking experience, you know, whether it's Southern Utah or the Rockies or wherever. And so that's something that we, we typically will spend a little bit more money on because it's a unique experience that we can't get where we live. That's neat. Uh, how old were you when you became a millionaire? I was 34. Yeah. 34. Okay. Predicted, Jason asked this a little bit, but predicted retirement age and net worth. Do you have a net worth goal or a passive income goal? Yeah. So I think it, it's a little hairy with the, with the, with the refi potential, but you know, I've always said if I could get to about three, 3.2 million, I think I would be fine because you know, we don't have a lot of expenses per se, but thinking about college for my kids or uh, other, you know, one-time expenses like that. I'm thinking a little over three might be good. Favorite books? Any books you recommend? Yeah, three three books that have changed my life. So first one is The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. I love that book. And so just the idea that constant improvement adds up over time and compounds, very similar to what we've done real estate. But in every aspect of your life, uh, you know, whether it's physical working out or eating or or spiritual, whatever, those little compound changes, small changes, not huge changes, make a huge difference mm. over time. Love that book. Uh, and that one, that one's interesting because if you, if you get the audio book, he's got, I don't think it's in the, in the printed edition. He's got like a 
20 minute like preface and that thing like whenever i listen to that it's like i can go take on the world after i listen to that so it's amazing <laughs> it's, like, it's like a psych yourself up so that's really good and then the second one is automatic millionaire by david Block. i read that one right out of college and that kind of kind of shifted my mindset of trying to automate your savings goals automate your spending so that you don't i was never a big budget guy still don't have a budget in my household we just are very careful with what we spend money on but we don't really account for it and it works out okay but that that book helps you understand how to automate your accounts so that you're diverting different parts of your paycheck into a, a mortgage account or a a giving account or a, you know, a utilities account. That was really good. And then the last one is a, it's a new one by James Clear, Atomic Habits. And that one kind of pairs into the first one, but explains how to form habits and why we don't form habits and why, you know, it's hard for us as humans to do that. I love that book. And that's so I'm still not have it mastered. I need to read it again, but it's very, it's a really insightful book. That's cool. Good recommendations. Uh, annual household spending. Uh, so I would say we're at about 80,000. So I, I don't know if that's fi or whatever. I, I call it obese fi. <laughs> yeah. That fi. That fi. Um, yeah, yeah. Who yeah. knows what it is now, right? Right. Yeah, you uh, got four it's kids. more like, right, exactly, right? But, and we live in a fairly low cost of living, but that, I think 80K then plus taxes, which is probably another 20. Range of household income through your working life. Range. So I started at, I remember, I started with the big four back in, wow, when was that? It was 06 making $48,000 a year in Houston. I thought I had conquered the world, man. It was awesome. Uh, and <laughs> Little did you know. Yeah, now, at least I'm not, not going to say I'm probably at the 185, 190 range. Awesome. And, and, and each year has been, you know, in professional services, there's a lot of, I recommend it to anyone who can handle it because there's some good bumps in there. There's, you know, there's right. 20% every year. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's true. Definitely. Definitely. Well, we've taken we've taken enough of your time here. So just in, in closing, what's kind of the last piece of advice if someone's looking to do what you've done or get started in real estate? What's kind of the advice you give them? Yeah, so I would say if you if you want to do real estate, and it's hard because some people live in areas where it just doesn't make sense, right? If you live in San Francisco, good luck, right? But join, try to join with your local real estate meetup. I'm sure there is one. We have several here in Houston, and they meet monthly. And you can go meet people that have done what I've done or similar, find a mentor, someone who you can work for for free or at least shoulder underneath and, um, you know, kind of learn the tricks of the trade. And then the other thing that was really helpful for me in the beginning to learn the lingo and just what the, what the, what the whole thing was about, what the potential was, was to listen to the Bigger Pockets podcast, right? Those original 50 to 60, 70 episodes were just gold, gold for me and helps me understand, uh, what could work. You know, and helped me understand what I needed to test out and, and play with to figure out what worked in my market. And then just jump in. That's the other thing. Like, I wish I would have started probably about four years earlier than I did, but I had, I just hadn't met the right, the right partner yet. And so my goal was to make a million before I was 40. And so we did that. So I'm, I'm very fortunate, but you know, if I could have started a few, few years earlier, it would have been even better. I thought. Yeah, I think you make a good point about all the information. You know, there's so much information out there that's free and accessible and, and no reason to really hold back. Right. So, and, and a lot of these people will sell these courses, right? And if, you, and if you've got money, these these lifestyle courses can be very good, but they're very expensive. But all that information can be gotten uh, for free through the web or through in local meetups because there's people like me who are happy to share. I, we always tell people there's plenty of houses. We're not going to run out of houses. So it's not like you're going to steal a deal from me necessarily. And so we, we'd love to just share the, the, the wealth, if, it, if you will, of knowledge, because in my opinion, the fastest way to build wealth because of the appreciation, the 
tax benefit, the cash flow, and the leverage. Those those four things, you would never, at least I would never borrow money to buy stocks. So I've never shorted stock. I was never that crazy. I traded options a few times just for fun, uh, but I would never short a stock. And every day in real estate, people borrow money to buy houses. And so that has been able, you know, that, that makes our return 20, 25, 30% on each house. And that is something right. I've never been able to find uh, in the market. And so that's why I'm all in on, on that asset class for sure. Awesome. Well, Chris, where can people find you? And if they want to know more about you, how can they get in, how can they get in contact? Yes. So we are, uh, we're documenting every deal that we do on the stealthyrich.com, the stealthyrich.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at the stealthy rich and we drop some just, you know, when we walk a house or we fix something, we post pictures, we post the, the whole kind of what we do on a daily basis for people who want to get into the real estate, uh, business. Awesome. Awesome. Really cool story. Really cool stuff. And uh, again, that's Chris, net worth of $1.8 million. Thanks again for coming on the show today. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Love the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.